As is always the case on the second Sunday night of the month, tonight, of course, we're going to deal with questions and answers, questions that you have submitted, and what what does the Bible say about those things? And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And we have had uh, several questions submitted, and hopefully over time we'll be able to deal with all of those questions. Tonight, however, I think we're probably going to be able to tackle essentially just one, because it is... Despite the fact that on the surface it seems rather simple, it is actually a complex question that we're going to be dealing with tonight. The question, as has been submitted, is asking whether or not we may have an alternate assembly on Saturday evening in which brethren take the Lord's Supper. Now, I recognize that on the surface that sounds rather uh, rather simple, and yet some of the things that go behind this question make it somewhat complex. The reason this question has been submitted is because there is, in fact, a congregation within our area that has decided to have a Saturday night assembly. In fact, on November 5th, in its weekly bulletin love lines, or in its bulletin love lines, the Woodmont Hills Church of Christ announced in an article entitled Saturday Night Assembly 2004 that they would have an assembly on Saturday nights, and not just any assembly, but an assembly in which folks would take the Lord's Supper. And so, someone has asked, is that scriptural? In that same bulletin, they provided another article to provide biblical authority for such an action. And so our question tonight is, is what they said true? Does the Bible really authorize us to participate in the Lord's Supper on Saturday night or not? I want to begin by reading these articles to you. Now, there really was no convenient way for me to get them on the board, so I'm just going to read them to you. And then as we go through our answer, the, the parts that we need to comment on, I will put on the board. The first article is entitled, Saturday Night Assembly for 2004. The challenge to be an available, helpful, and faithful church in the 21st century urban setting is almost overwhelming. Question. How do we meet so many needs, such diverse needs, such ever-changing needs? Answer. We don't know, and are driven to rely on God to open and close doors of opportunity for us. We don't know, and must explore creative options. If the Lord carries until the spring of 2004, we plan to offer a Saturday night worship assembly beginning January 10th. The service will run from 6 until 7.30 p.m. It will be programmed like the three that will follow on Sunday morning. Same themes, biblical texts, music, etc. And it will help meet needs we are not addressing well in our present arrangement. Several of our key volunteers in both teen and children's ministry, for example, are too frequently unable to make it to the Great Hall for worship on Sunday morning. The reason is not a lack of desire on their part, but such heavy involvement with the needs of both groups and individuals under their charge that they simply use up the entire morning in ministry. We want these servants to have the nurture, encouragement, and fellowship that comes of a solid worship experience. We also have a number of individuals, for example, physicians, nurses, etc., who are required to work occasional 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shifts on Sundays and simply cannot be present. We also suspect this service will have outreach possibilities to persons who presently do not attend Christian assemblies at all and who could be introduced to a faith community through such a service. Our first run-throughs for such an assembly will be on November 22nd and December 20th. These two dates will allow us to work out some of the logistics for the new service before starting it on a regular basis in January. We will meet in room 205. No child care classes for children will be provided. Novel idea? Not really. For several churches in urban settings have had success with Saturday night worship. 
Not really, for at least some Gentile churches of the first century appear to have met on Saturday nights as well, perhaps because slavery made night assemblies more practical than daylight events. This new option will not affect the vast majority of you. It does, if it does not meet your need or that of someone you know, however, please give it a try. Excuse me, if it does meet your need or that of someone you know, however, please give it a try. And please pray for God to bless this experiment with his favor. So many things we could comment on, but we're not going to have time to deal with everything. Let me read this other article to you. This is entitled, The Lord's Day. By the way, both of these articles will be kept uh, in full in the outline that you can pick up on the way out tonight. The front page of this week's Love Lines announces the start of a fourth worship assembly for 2004. Because some variant of pattern thinking remains in the background for many of us, this is a good opportunity for thinking about the Lord's Day. Is Saturday night worship with the Lord's Supper a scriptural option? Could it be used by some as an evasion of Sunday worship or Sabbath rest responsibility? The New Testament reflects the life of a multicultural church that apparently did not understand the Lord's Day in our midnight to midnight time frame. The majority of New Testament scholars agree, for example, that the assembly to break bread at Acts 20 and verse 7 took place on what we call Saturday evening. It was a nighttime gathering complete with many laughs, sleepy worshipers, and Paul preaching until midnight, verses 8 and 9. The other option for understanding this event is that they met on Sunday night and then shared the Lord's Supper in the early hours of Monday morning. Either option challenges our modern understanding of meeting together for the Lord's Supper only during the 24-hour time frame we call Sunday. Explanations for why this evening assembly took place vary. Jewish people count days from sundown to sundown, so Saturday night for them was the first day of the week. But Ephesus was a predominantly Gentile church. Perhaps slavery made Saturday night more practical than daylight events for them. Perhaps Gentile Christians were submitting to their Jewish brothers and sisters. In any case, they were not so legalistic about what God could, what could count as Sunday as some of us may be inclined to be. As explained on page one, we are initiating a Saturday night service for volunteers who staff Sunday classes and who are cut out of our assemblies or simply exhausted from their service, medical personnel and others who work on Sunday, unchurched people who might be reachable in alternative settings, people from other churches who would visit on an event not in conflict with their own commitments and perhaps others. A legitimate fear is that some could have used a Saturday service as their warrant to be selfish with Sunday a possibility that already exists with early, late, or evening assemblies on Sunday that can be used by checklist persons for showing up, eating the Lord's Supper, and using the remainder of the day to selfish ends. Our purpose is the opposite, however, and our intention is to extend rather than reduce the concept of the Lord's Day devotion. With the Saturday evening assembly, our intent and heart's desire is to extend the concept of the Lord's Day from 24 hours to 36 hours rather than truncating or diminishing it. It will make the ministry and outreach of this church available to still more people. We also are aware, perhaps with some of the reasons suggested above, that Saturday evenings could create a conscience problem for some, and we want to be sensitive to that circumstance by encouraging such individuals to continue their Sunday-only practice. Likewise, those for whom Saturday evening is an appropriate option should feel free to participate in it as they wish and as it meets their needs. No doubt we can already see a certain amount of trouble with the fact that this is so needs and desire driven, but that's not what we're going to focus on tonight. Now, before we deal with any of these issues and answer this question, let me explain why it's important that we answer this question. 
It's important that we look at this because we want to be God's people. And we learn from the Scripture as we look through the way God deals with His people that if we're going to be His people, we've got to do His things His way. We don't get to do things however we want to do things. And if God has established a pattern for us, we are supposed to follow His pattern. And we're not allowed to say, but I need something else or I desire something else. And so what to some people may seem a very trivial issue is in fact not trivial at all. We want to be what God wants us to be and we want to do what God has asked us to do and we want to do things God's way. And so we must go to the Scripture and find out what way God has asked us to do things. And so we ask the question, may we have an alternate assembly on Saturday evening in which brethren take the Lord's Supper? As we look at this, I want us to understand that this system as set up and as followed by the congregation to which we have referred violates the Bible pattern in two ways. And so we could not, if we are going to continue to follow what God has said, approach our worship in the way that has been described in these articles. The first thing that we need to recognize regarding Saturday night assemblies is that divided and alternate assemblies violate the Bible pattern. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 24, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, the Scripture there says, in Hebrews 10 and 24, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Scripture is very clear. We are supposed to assemble together. My understanding of this verse is that the Hebrew writer is pointing out that churches are to assemble, and of course, secondarily, if the church is going to assemble, where are we as individual members going to be? We're going to be there, assembling. That just seems to be as plain as the nose on our faces from Hebrews 10.25. But we also need to recognize that when we understand the Bible concept of assembling, it doesn't mean just having any kind of service that we might wish on church property. I want you to look at the book of 1 Corinthians and notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4, Paul pointed out to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now also, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, Paul said, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Notice also one more, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 23. <coughs> in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 23, excuse me, the Scripture there says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and then goes on to describe the issue with which he was dealing I want you to notice what the Bible describes as the assembly. The church, the whole thing coming together in one place. That's the assembling that God wants us to do. The whole church gathering together. Now, from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we can very clearly recognize that the fact that somebody might forsake the assembly and not be here does not make it something other than the assembly of the church. 
by extension, those who for a legitimate reason may not be here, does not make it any less an assembling of the church. However, when it is by design divided up, and by design the church itself cuts members out of the assembly, in what way can we claim that that is an assembly of the church together? I just don't think we can. The thing that we need to recognize as we are considering what's put before us is that we're not talking about having different assembly times. We have two assemblies on Sunday. Nothing wrong with that. The whole church is supposed to gather both times. But that's not what's being presented to us. What's being presented to us is, in fact, alternate times for one assembly from which the members of the congregation can choose to attend one of those alternate times. Let me refer you to one of the quotes. It says, The Saturday evening service will be programmed like the three that will follow on Sunday morning. Same themes, biblical text, music, etc. In other words, if you come on Saturday night, or you come to one of the three different times they offer an assembly on Sunday morning, you're getting the same assembly. Same sermon, same song, same scripture reading. This is not four different assemblies. This is instead four times from among which members in the congregation can choose to show up. Now, when that is the design, tell me, brethren, when did the whole church gather together in one place? As Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 14. When did they all come together? As Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4. When did they gather together to participate in the Lord's Supper? As Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, it never happens by design. Now certainly, there is absolutely nothing wrong if a church wants to offer a service or a class, a time of worship, that only a certain group of Christians within the congregation will come and be a part of. Let's face it, we have Bible classes and we divide up into different classes which is small assemblies of groups within the congregation. We're allowed to do that. But if that's all that's ever offered, when does the congregation ever come together in one place? It doesn't happen. Let me drive this point home even further by noticing some other quotes. Why is this taking place? Several of our key volunteers in both teen and children's ministry, for example, are too frequently unable to make it to the Great Hall for worship on Sunday mornings. The reason is not lack of desire on their part, but such heavy involvement with the needs of both groups and individuals under their charge that they simply use up the entire morning in ministry. Excuse me. The other article said, we're initiating a Saturday night service for volunteers who staff Sunday classes and who are cut out of our assemblies. Who cut them out of it? Why, the church did. What's happening here? A church is establishing all these very varying opportunities for ministry and class. And because of that, folks are not coming to the assembly. And so they offer a different time for the assembly. Now, can we have other options for ministry? Can we have other classes that we offer? Of course we can. But why would we cut folks out of the God-commanded assembly in order to offer those? 
Why not do what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says and allow all the brethren of the congregation to gather together in order to encourage one another and minister to one another in that way and then set up alternate times for all these other classes and ministries? Doesn't that seem to make more sense and fit more with the pattern of God? And if we want to have a Saturday night time where some of us get together as an outreach for folks who wouldn't come on Sunday, that's fine. If we want to have the teenagers get together on a Friday night or on a Sunday afternoon or on a Sunday evening or some other night and do something that will help them, that's fine too. But let's make sure all the brethren gather together for the assembly to minister to one another, encourage one another, as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. You remember what it says? Look at it again, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What better way for us to minister to one another than to gather together as God said here? And so, what we learn is that this idea of divided and alternate assemblies violates the Bible pattern. But that's not all. The second problem is that taking the Lord's Supper on Saturday night violates the Bible pattern. And presumably, taking a collection, though that's not mentioned in the article, I can only presume that they probably are having a collection on Saturday night. Maybe not. Uh, but if they'll have the Lord's Supper, I don't know why they wouldn't go ahead and take a collection. Let's notice what the Bible says. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, the Scripture there says, Now... On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. We also find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, Paul says to the brethren there at Corinth, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. We had we mentioned this in the Bible class this morning, and we recognized that when Paul pointed out to them, when you get together, I'm getting on to you because it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, that demonstrates to us that Paul was telling Corinthians, when you all come together, you ought to be eating the Lord's Supper, right? Well, when were they coming together? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. The brethren in Corinth were gathering together on the first day of the week. They were taking the collection. That way there would be no collections when Paul came. So the Corinthians were meeting on the first day of the week. In fact, Paul commanded them to take this collection on the first day of the week. Commanded the churches in Galatia to do the same thing. He pointed out to them in 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together, it ought to be to take the Lord's Supper. When were they doing it? First day of the week. What day is that? Sunday. It's today. Not tomorrow. What's tomorrow? What's Monday? Monday is the second day of the week. And it's not yesterday. What's yesterday? Saturday. That's the seventh day of the week. When we look at the Christians in the New Testament, they gathered on the first day of the week in order to participate in the Lord's Supper. And we need to do the very same thing. Now, our friend in writing his article, Mr. Shelley, 
referred to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. He gave the Scripture a wink and a nod and said, see, we can find scriptural authority for it. But the two paragraphs that he used to produce biblical authority, they say lots of things, and they do lots of things, but they fall far short of finding biblical authority. I want you to notice what was said here. Let's read these two paragraphs again. He said, The New Testament reflects the life of a multicultural church that apparently did not understand the Lord's Day in our midnight-to-midnight time frame. The majority of New Testament scholars agree, for example, that the assembly to break bread at Acts 20 and verse 7 took place on what we call Saturday evening. It was a nighttime gathering complete with many lamps, sleepy worshippers, and Paul preaching until midnight. The other option for understanding this event is that they met on Saturday night and then shared the Lord's Supper in the early hours of Monday morning. Either option challenges our modern understanding of meeting together for the Lord's Supper only during the 24-hour time frame that we call Sunday. Explanations for why this evening assembly took place vary. Jewish people count days from sundown to sundown, so Saturday night for them was the first day of the week. But Ephesus, and by the way, uh, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we're not dealing with Ephesus. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that was just a slip of the pen. Uh, actually, they were in Troas. But Ephesus was a predominantly Gentile church, and that statement may be true for Ephesus, it's certainly true for Troas. Predominantly Gentile church. Perhaps slavery made Saturday night more practical than daylight events for them. Perhaps Gentile Christians were submitting to their Jewish brothers and sisters. In any case, they were not so legalistic about what could count as Sunday as some of us may be inclined to be. Now, certainly, our friend has said some things here in an attempt to try to find Bible authority. But I want you to notice that he didn't find Bible authority. Did you notice what he did? Number one, he appealed to the authority of men. Why, the majority of scholars would claim. Secondly, he demonstrated, well, the Bible's really just unclear about this. Did you notice how he said, well, there was one option and another option, but either one challenges us. Thirdly, he provides what's called in the area of logic a false dilemma. A false dilemma is the idea of giving two options and acting as though those are the only options out there. And so he says, there's just two options. They either did it on Saturday, they gathered on Saturday night and took it then, or they did it Monday morning, and that's it. Those are our options. You've got to pick one. Either way, you're going to be in trouble, you Sunday-only folks. You have two options. Well, that's, there's more than two options. And then he capped it all off by slanderously labeling anyone who would disagree with him and pointing out that now, anybody who disagrees with this, what are we? We're just too legalistic about what is the Lord's day. And so that's what he says. Is that Bible authority? It certainly is not. But let's notice what actually happened in Acts chapter 20. Begin in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was over... There's nobody here doing that, is there? Just making sure. All right. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Notice here what happens, and this is what 
what causes the confusion about this passage. They gathered on the first day of the week to break bread. Then verse 11, which clearly occurs after midnight, says that Paul went up, broke bread, and ate. And so some would say, see, there it is. After midnight, the Lord's Supper is being taken. So what's, what's the answer here? Well, Mr. Shelley said there were two options. The first option was that, well, they gathered on what we would call Saturday night. But for them, it was the first day of the week because they were using the Jewish time from sundown to sundown. So that even though it was after midnight, it was still the first day of the week. Well, does that option really fit with the text? Look again at verse 7. When did they gather? On the first day of the week. Now, before we go any further, I want you to notice that. They gathered on the first day of the week. If you ask these brethren when did they gather, they would say, we gathered on the first day of the week. They would not say, we gathered on Saturday. They would say, we gathered on Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, repeatedly in these articles, while Mr. Shelley and, and the church there is trying to tell us we're going to expand the Lord's Day, what do they keep saying? We're going to meet on the day we call Saturday. Now, for all the confusion that we might throw out about what Jews called the first day and Gentiles called the first day, these brethren, when did they believe they were getting together? On the first day of the week. So when we get together, what do we need to believe it is? The first day of the week. But let's move on beyond that. Was it really our Saturday night because they were using the Jewish time or not? Well, I suggest to you it wasn't because notice also in verse 7, what was Paul ready to do? Depart on the next day. You see that? They met on the first day of the week. He was going to be departing the next day. Now, this is not saying the next time there's daylight. This is making a contrast between the first day of the week and the next day, which would be what? The second day of the week. Notice verse 11. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. Daybreak is the next day from the time when they gathered. Because that's when he was leaving. You see that? Very clear. Now, if they were meeting on Saturday evening, calling it the first day of the week, and saying that the first day of the week was going to go all the way through midnight, down to daybreak, and up to the next sundown, then he didn't leave on the next day, did he? He left on the same day. But the text says he was leaving on the next day. They didn't take the supper in the evening, what we call Saturday evening, and then stick around until what we call Sunday morning. They gathered on the first day of the week. And on the second day of the week, at daybreak, Paul left town just like he had planned on doing. That first option is not the right option. What about the second option? Did they actually meet on Sunday evening, just like we're doing here, but then Paul preached forever and a day until midnight, and it actually pushed the Lord's Supper over to the early hours of Monday morning. Is that what happened here? It certainly looks like, like that's a possibility because it obviously talks about somebody eating and breaking bread after midnight. But that's not what happened either. In fact, when we look at the text, we notice that the assembly did not even continue after midnight. Go back again. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Spoke to them. The term there is dialegami, continued his message there, logos. Those terms together demonstrate the idea of a continued unified message. Paul is preaching to them. 
He was telling them things that they needed to hear, preaching a sermon to them till midnight. I promise you, brethren, unless we have an 11 o'clock meeting some night, I will never, ever preach until midnight. Some of you might, it might feel that way at times, but never actually happens. But Paul did. Why? Because he's about to leave. He's got lots of things to say to them. Come tomorrow morning, he's heading out of town. And this is his last opportunity to talk to them for a while, maybe forever. And so he preaches an extremely long sermon. Then, in verse 10, excuse me, in verse 9, Eutychus fell asleep, fell out of the window. Guess what that did to the assembly? That disrupted it. What do you think would happen if somebody here fell out of a, if we were up in an upper room and somebody fell out of a window and hit the ground and died? You think we'd probably all run outside and check on them? You think that would disrupt our assembly? I believe it would. I believe if somebody just had a heart attack right here, they wouldn't even have to fall. That probably would disrupt our assembly. And that's exactly what happened here. They all went outside. Paul raised him from the dead in verse 10. And then he comes back up. But I want you to notice some things. There's a shift now in the way things are described. We don't see it as readily in the English, though it is there. In verse 11, it says, Now when he had come up, had broken bread, and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. The part that we don't see so readily is the fact that here in this verse, when it talks about him talking, use a different word. The Greek word there was homileo. And that word has the idea of conversation. Paul wasn't preaching here. Paul was conversing. Paul was visiting with the brethren. Just like we do when our assemblies are over. We visit. Somebody could well say about me tonight, Edwin continued his message until 7 o'clock. Then we had the Lord's Supper and a prayer. And then he talked with the folks for another hour. Could we say that? Certainly could. And that's exactly what's being discussed here. There's a shift there we don't see in the English. But let me show you one that we can see in the English, just in case you don't like going to Greek, which I normally don't. But notice in verse 11, Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten. Who came up, broke bread and ate? Paul. Does that sound like the Lord's church eating the Lord's supper? No, it certainly doesn't. That's Paul came up and ate. And that's very natural when you consider where they're assembling. They're not assembling in a church building like we have that's devoted to the work of the church. They're assembling in somebody's upper room. And so they come together on the first day of the week. They take the Lord's Supper. Paul preaches until midnight. Eutychus falls out and dies. He brings them back to life. They go back up. Paul's about to leave on a trip. What do they do? They feed him. We ever done that for a preacher? Have the assembly, take the Lord's Supper, and then we go and feed him? Happened today. Man, we had some good eating today, don't you think? Okay, but that wasn't the church having the Lord's Supper, was it? We could use the same words to describe it. We broke bread. We ate. We ate a meal. But we're not talking about the same thing. And in verse 11, it points out a distinction when it points out that he had come up. This isn't the congregation coming up. This isn't the assembly continuing with Paul preaching another sermon and then finally taking the Lord's Supper. The assembly has been dispersed. It's been disrupted. It's over now. And Paul is visiting with the brethren and they're feeding him because he's got a 20-mile journey to Assos, which is where he's going. Verse 13, then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. 
So, what do we find? Having gone through all of that, what we recognize is that not only did they not meet on what we call Saturday night and and intend to take the Lord's Supper sometime between 6 and 12 on our Saturday night, they also did not meet on Sunday night and continue meeting all the way through Monday morning and finally take the Lord's Supper Monday morning. They did exactly what they intended to do. They gathered together on the first day of the week to participate in the Lord's Supper. And they did that. And then Paul preached until midnight. Eutychus died. He raised him from the dead. And they visited for a while and fed Paul to prepare him for his journey. And that's it. What does that mean for us? That means if we're going to take the Lord's Supper, it needs to be on the first day of the week. We also learn that if it's the first day of the week, the church needs to gather together to take the Lord's Supper. It's just that simple. While there may seem some complexities, getting into Greek language and making sure we look at the pronouns and all of that, it's still very plain. It's all right there in the text. There's nothing that we pulled out of thin air. We haven't had to go and say, now, whatever your needs are or whatever you want. We don't have to say things like, boy, we're trying to meet the needs of this ever-changing world and so we've got to be creative. What we actually say is we've got to be driven to do what God says. And that means we just go to the book and do what they said in the book. And so someone has asked, can we have an alternate assembly on Saturday night in which brethren participate in the Lord's Supper? No, we can't. Not if we're going to be what they were in the New Testament. Can we have an assembly on Saturday night? We certainly can. And I imagine this congregation has done so. I believe it has at times. We've had assemblies, I imagine, every day of the week. But not participating in the Lord's Supper. And can we have meetings that are really designed for just specific groups in the congregation? We certainly can. In fact, last Sunday we had one for new converts and new members and folks that just wanted to, to, to be reminded of some of the basics. And we had a little workshop back here in one of the rooms. wasn't for everybody. Everybody could come. But it wasn't designed to be an assembly. But we do have to have time in which the whole congregation gathers together. That's what we've got to do. And we've got to do things the Bible way. Does everybody see that that's just what the Bible says? Remember, we do this once a month. If you have any questions, please feel free to fill out the form that's back there. I've got a form back there by the phone. You can drop it in the box. It says Second Sunday Night Questions. And hopefully next Sunday, next time we'll be able to get to where we deal with more questions. By the way, I have had some questions come in that I need some clarification on. If you've given me some questions and you didn't write your name down, would you please come see me? Because uh, I have some, some questions for you, things that I, I need to talk with you about. And I obviously don't know who you are, otherwise I'd just come talk to you. Uh, but if you have any questions, feel free to drop those in the box and we'll deal with those as soon as we have opportunity. Would you pull out your songbooks, please?